and join us as we open our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter number 5 tonight, please. Luke, chapter 5 in your Bible. And we're going to stand together, as is our custom here at the Baptist Temple, and read with me in verse 12 through 15. Let's read God's Word together. Luke 5, 12 through 15. It came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand, and he touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man. Jesus charged him to tell no man. But to go and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. The them, I think, represents the priest. They would be the ones that the leper would go to for this ritual of cleansing. In verse 15, but so much the more, uh, he charged him to tell no man and show himself to the priest and offer for his cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of Jesus. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And you may be seated. Healing was a major, major part of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ while he was on earth. He had already experienced or he had already healed a number of people by the time we get to Luke chapter 5. And we've talked about him. If you want to go back in your Bible to chapter 4, there in verse 38, the Lord Jesus is in a synagogue, and a man uh, is there who uh, is full of the demons and so on, and the Lord Jesus Christ has cast those demons out. And then he goes over to Simon Peter's home where Simon Peter's mother-in-law is. And the Bible says she has a very high fever, a great figure, a great fever is the way it says it. And Jesus healed her. He just simply spoke, and the fever left her immediately, no long recovery time and all of that. And then in chapter 4 and verse 40, after people had observed what he was able to do, it says, when the sun was setting, all of the people that had any sick with divers diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on them. Now, we don't know how many people were healed here, but certainly a great number, maybe scores and scores, maybe hundreds of people were healed by the Lord Jesus Christ in that one evening. And now we come down to chapter 5. And a man comes to him with leprosy. And, of course, there were many different diseases. Jesus never met a disease he couldn't cure. He certainly could cure leprosy, which was a very uh, incurable disease at that time, but not with the Lord, of course. We know as Christians that disease is a result of sin in the world. And leprosy is one of the pictures the Bible uses a type or symbol of sin in the, human, in the human body. And so, disease is a result of sin. 
Now, let me qualify that. I don't mean that every time a person is sick that there's a direct cause and effect that they have sinned and therefore they get sick. We know that's not true. We know that God's most precious saints get sick, and we know that everybody gets sick and dies at some point in their life, or almost all of them are sick before they die. So, I don't mean that there's this idea that if you sin, you're going to get sick. People get sick who have not sinned, who have lived very godly lives. But we know that the Lord has allowed into this universe these viruses and bacteria. They have good purposes as well as bad. We know that they can attack our bodies in a way, though, that brings disease to us. And sickness ensues, and good people as well as evil people get sick. And so we get sick because we're in a world that is a broken world. It's a sinful world. Ever since sin came, sickness came. There was no sickness, of course, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, and that's a part of our curse. It's a part of the fall. Now, sometimes Satan gets directly involved in in, uh, sicknesses. Do you remember Job's friends were convinced when he got so sick, they were very, very convinced that Job had sinned. And they would argue with him, what have you done? You need to confess your sin, and and you'll get well. This is a result. This is a punishment upon your sin. And Job had not sinned. We know what had happened in Job's case. Job had had a direct attack of Satan himself. Satan had focused upon him and brought that sickness into Job's life. We know that there was a blind man in the temple in John chapter 9, And the Lord Jesus Christ healed that man of his blindness. But before he performed that miracle, the Pharisees had asked Jesus about this man's blindness. They said, who sinned, this man or his parents? And the Lord Jesus Christ said, well, neither one sinned. This man's blindness is not a result of somebody's sin. And so, sin is a result of our fallen and broken condition. Sin is not always a direct cause and effect relationship, but sometimes we know that it is. We know that people can do certain sinful habits that bring disease and illness into their lives. So, here in chapter 5 and verse 12, we have a leper. And let's notice his condition. It came to pass when he was in a certain city a man full of leprosy. He just didn't have a little spot. He was full of it. Now, leprosy was a skin disease. It was mentioned, is mentioned often in the Bible. It's a horrible disease. It's characterized by open sores that bleed and drain. It leaves scars. Leprosy, ancient biblical leprosy left people sometimes without their fingers. Often a nose would fall off or their lip would melt away. It disfigured people. It was a horrible, horrible disease, and I guess that's why it was chosen to picture sin uh, to give us an idea of the seriousness of sin. It was a disease of the whole body, not just one organ or one limb here. And it says this man was full of 
leprosy. We use that same terminology today. We'll hear about somebody goes to the doctor and they do some tests and they say, basically, that person is full of cancer. We mean by that that the cancer is completely taken over in the body and has touched every part of the body. This man is full of leprosy. The leprosy is all over him. Maybe he's had it for years. It's a disease of the entire person. Dr. Ironside, in his little commentary on the book of Luke, he tells a story about a missionary doctor who was in India, and he was at a party, some festive event. And this, he noticed on this beautiful young Indian lady's shoulder, there's a spot, and it looks suspicious to him being a doctor. And so he said, uh, how long have you had that spot? And she said, well, I've had it for some time now, months. I've tried to get rid of it, and then I can't get it to, to, to go away. And he said to her, you need to come to my office and let me examine that. And so she did. And he had to tell her that she was full of cancer, that it had started there in one little tiny spot on her body, and now it had spread through her entire body, and she was a very, very sick woman. And that's the way sin is. Sin starts as a little spot, a little thing. It may not even be so very bad according to human standards, but of course in the mind of God, every sin is a serious sin. There are no inconsequential sins with Almighty God. And so sin then goes through the body. It spreads until finally it can take over if it's not treated with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But another thing about leprosy, it not only is a disease of the entire body, it's a very loathsome disease. By loathsome, I mean it disfigures. I've already described it to you. Open sores and parts of the body falling off and making the person very susceptible to infections that could enter through those sores. So it's destructive. Leprosy was destructive. It totally destroyed the leper's life. And in the same way, of course, I need not describe it in great detail. You know that sin completely devastates and destroys so, so very many people's lives. And leprosy is contagious. In fact, it is so contagious that the lepers were quarantined. Now, that's a word we're very familiar with now, isn't it? There was a time we didn't use that word a whole lot before COVID. But lepers were quarantined, and they would have to go live in a colony with other lepers. And so there might be six or eight or 10 or 20 lepers living together in a, in a house or in a, a compound in, a, in an area, and they lived together because everybody else was so fearful of the, leper, of the leprosy. And nobody could be around them. In fact, the Mosaic law required in Israel that they actually put a little thing on their mouth, on their upper lip, that would identify them as lepers. And if anybody approached them, they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean. And they had to warn people so that people would not come up. They were practicing social distancing in the ancient world, I guess is what you would call that. And so they were very uh, isolated, very separated. Uh, if you developed leprosy, you had, to leave your, you had to leave your home. 
And so you were separated from your family. You had to leave your work, the people with whom you were associated in your employment. You would have to leave your community. You couldn't walk the streets freely anymore. You would have to leave your church or the synagogue, the place of worship. And it was humiliating to have to warn people, to cry out, I'm unclean, don't come around me. Any person that had leprosy was considered to be defiled. That was the word they used, which meant they were contaminated. And in this COVID epidemic, we can very readily identify with that, can we not? But most of all, leprosy separated them. It isolated them. They could not be around anybody at any time. Some people had it for years and died. Some died rather quickly. You put all those things together, it's loathsomeness, how it disfigured, how it opened people up and made them susceptible to other infections, how it took over their whole body, how it was so contagious that they could not be with anyone and then it was incurable. No physician even had a treatment for it in the, old, in the old Bible days. There was no human cure for it. Now, when you think of all that, that's a perfect picture of sin. That's what sin does to people. That's why the Bible says fools make a mock of sin. Because it destroys, it separates, it it ruins lives. It starts out perhaps not being anything to be so concerned about, but before it's over, it really does wreak havoc with people's lives. This was this leper's condition, and this is spiritually the condition of every single Christian. Now, when the Bible says here that he was full of leprosy, and we say that leprosy is a picture of sin. There's one other point I want to make about it. And that is that as Christians, one of the very basic doctrines we believe is in the what we call depravity, the depravity of the human person, the human beings. We believe, we use the term in Christian circles, total depravity. And, but I hear people use that wrong. We are all totally depraved, but let me describe what that means. To be totally depraved means to be full of the leprosy of sin. It means that it's touching every single part of our being. When I say that someone is totally depraved, I don't mean that they're as wicked as Adolf Hitler. It doesn't mean people are as wicked as they could be. There are some people who are so grossly evil and wicked that the, the Charles Mansons, the Adolf Hitlers, the serial killers, the child rapists, the horrible, horrible, sinful, evil people. But the average person is not like that. The average person is not like that at all. And yet the Bible says that the average person, the person outside of Christ, is, 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 uh, they are depraved. They can look in their hearts, and the heart is desperately wicked. Who could even know it? So, what do I mean when I say people are depraved? I, I don't mean they're as bad as they could be. I'm not talking about that. By total depravity, we mean 
the total being has been touched with sin. That sin has touched every part of me in total. Sin has touched my mind. And so I think sinful thoughts. Sin has touched my will. And so I make sinful choices. Sin has touched my emotions. And so I react in a sinful way when certain buttons are pushed in my life emotionally. I lose my temper. I fly into a rage. I, I, I do things to hurt other people. My emotions get touched by sin. And of course, my body is affected by sin. I live in a fallen body. The diseases that we have are absolute proof of that. So, when we say that a person is depraved, we don't mean depraved like people generally use it today, or people say, oh, he's depraved. They mean he's a very hyper, wicked, sinful person. No, that's not what the Bible is teaching at all. What the Bible is teaching is that depravity Sin has come, and every single part of our being has been affected and touched by evil and by sin. And every one of us have been touched in that way. Let me prove that to you a little bit. Turn in your Bible with me, Isaiah chapter 1, because I really want you to understand this. This is one of the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. What is that? That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that every human being is, is sinful. Isaiah chapter number 1, and in verse number 4, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger they're going away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more because the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint. And from the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness at all in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. There is the exact picture of what I'm talking about. Now, that's talking about the nation, but it's also talking about the people of the nation. And the whole body is sick. The head is sick. Everything about it has been touched by sin. And that's the picture of the sinner. Now, why is that so important? Let me tell you. This is one of the most important of all the doctrines that we hold as Christians. It's important because until people realize their true condition, they're not interested in any cure for it. This leper knew his condition. And he comes before the Lord. And what does he do? He falls down and in front of the Lord Jesus. And he says, I want you to make me clean, Lord Jesus. I'm defiled. I acknowledge my defilement. I need you to clean me up. And the Bible says he was full of leprosy. Now, the biggest challenge I have in reaching people for Christ today is they don't believe that they really are 
as sinful as they are. They think that because they pay their bills and they loan their neighbor a cup of sugar or a lemon or because they give a little bit to a charity somewhere or because they don't beat their kids and abuse them or something, by the time they get through, they've rationalized all their sin and they really don't believe they're such bad people. If they're going to compare themselves to bad people, they want to compare themselves to somebody that's way out there, totally, totally off the charts. And we don't think of the normal human being walking around today as being sinful enough to really be even concerned about it. They're good people. But the Bible teaches otherwise. The Bible says that every single one of us have sinned from the sole of our foot to the top of our head, and that we need salvation. We need cleansing, just like this man who was full of leprosy needed. That's the leper's condition. Now, let's look at the Lord's compassion. He comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, if you will, Lord, you can make me clean, verse 12. And in 13, and Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. I'm willing to do that, be clean. Now, if you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 2, you'll find that Matthew tells this same story, but he adds a word that Luke doesn't put in. Now, I want to go back and call attention to it. Because Matthew says, and when Jesus saw him, he had compassion. First thing, Jesus had compassion. And then Mark, Matthew says the same thing as Luke. He says, he put forth his hand and he touched him. But he didn't touch him until first it talks about his compassion. So the leper approached the Lord Jesus Christ. And the leper falls down on his face. In fact, I think Mark says he worshiped him. But he really is offering a prayer request. What is the request? He besought Jesus. That's a prayer request. Just like we've offered prayer requests for people who are sick in our congregation, the leper falls down personally in front of the Lord Jesus. Lord, if you will, you can make me, make me clean. I want you to notice something about, first of all, that prayer was characterized by faith. He said, Lord, he knew who Jesus was. Lord, he uses the word that means deity. Lord Jesus, I know that you're God. I've been observing what you've been doing. You've been casting out these demons. You healed Simon Peter's mother. You have done all these miracles here. We know who you are. You are God in human flesh. We understand that. You're the Lord. And I know that you can. I know that you can. You have the ability. I have faith that you can actually save me, cleanse me. But what he was concerned about is not whether Jesus could, but would it be Jesus' will if he would? Lord, if thou wilt. If you will, I know you can make me clean. Is it your will to clean me up, to heal me of my leprosy? And what did Jesus say? Jesus moved with compassion, Mark says, put out his hand, and he touched him. 
Think about the word compassion with me. I think I've told you the meaning of it a couple times, but it bears repeating. The word compassion, the part of com, C-O-M, means with, and passion means to suffer. So, to, compassion means to suffer with somebody. It means, we use the word today, empathy. It means to have so much empathy that if they're hurting, you look at them, you feel sorry for them, and you hurt with them. When I heard about our brother who passed away just yesterday and whose service we'll be having tomorrow here in our church family, I actually, I mean, I, I, I just felt so bad about that. I empathized with that. And you know what I'm describing when I describe that kind of compassion that you so identify with a person or a situation that you actually feel pain as well as them or with them. And over and over and over in the Bible, it talks about Jesus' compassion. He looks at the multitude and there's compassion. He looks at this leper full of leprosy. And Jesus has compassion upon him. Compassion. You know, it was his compassion that brought him down from heaven. He looked down at this world, dominated with sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ suffered with us. And he said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to redeem the world. I'm going to save the world. He put forth his hand, verse 13, and he touched the man. That's really significant because nobody would touch a leper. In the Bible days, if you touched a leper, you were considered to be defiled. You had to go to the temple, and you had to go through a ritual of cleansing yourself just for having touched him just for an instant. It's almost like the, it's almost like the COVID stuff here that we're dealing with, it, always being told to wash our hands and all that. Well, if you touched a leper, you were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't even go to the temple for several days. Jesus didn't think about that. His compassion gripped his heart, and he puts his hand out, and he touches the leper. He wasn't afraid of the disease. He wasn't afraid of the man. Of course, he's the Lord. What's the lesson there for you and me? Are we afraid to touch the untouchables? I think there's a great lesson there, don't you? Are we afraid to engage with and get involved in the life of people that are the untouchables, whatever we might mean by that? You know, the one thing that... Um, American life is so characterized by busyness that, very frankly, we don't want to get involved. We've got our do list. We've been told to organize our time. And so we don't really want to get involved with somebody too deeply. We don't want to touch the lepers. It takes time. You may end up having to get involved more than you want. It may take you a while to get out of the situation. And so we go through people, and if we're not very careful, we miss great, great opportunities to minister to people, to touch them. Jesus didn't make that mistake. He was not afraid 
to get involved with people who were the undesirables of that culture even. And when he touched him, the man was instantly healed of the leprosy. Then Jesus said here in verse 14 something else. He charged him, don't tell anybody. Well, (laughs) that didn't last long because the man man was so overjoyed, I promise you he cut a straight path for his home. Maybe he had a wife and kids. And he says, honey, I'm healed. Kids, I'm healed. I can come back home. And Jesus said, though, before you tell anybody, I want you to go to the priest, and I want you to show them your your leprosy, that it's healed. Now, if you read the book of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, and I'm not going to go there, but uh, it's not one of those most interesting chapters in all the Bible to read, but it's, it describes a ritual where if a person had leprosy, they would go to the priest, and the priest would examine them, and it told about the hair and the skin around it is white, and all these little details and signs that a person had leprosy or that they had had leprosy and the leprosy was no longer with them, that now they were cured of the leprosy. Two whole chapters on how the priest was to examine lepers. I I wonder if there had ever in all the history of Israel, 1,400 years from this time all the way back to when Moses wrote that, I wonder if there had ever been one person who had ever gone to the priest and said, guess what? I'm healed. I want you to examine me. But this man did that. And Jesus even told him why he was sending him to the priest. Jesus knew he was healed. He didn't need any confirmation of that. But the reason he said that is he wanted this guy to be a testimony unto them, meaning the priest, the guys who are going to examine you. So these priests are going to examine you, and they're going to say, I've never seen this before in all my life. A man has been healed of leprosy. Leprosy kills everybody that, get, that gets it. Leprosy is absolutely incurable. But here's a man who is well. He meets all the tests of Leviticus 13 and 14. I bet the priest talked about that for a long time. In fact, over in the book of Acts, it says, a great company of the priests turned to Christ. I wonder if it didn't start right here. When they said, We saw Jesus heal this man, and it's never happened like this before in all of Israel. So the man obviously went to the priest, but you know what he didn't do? He didn't keep it quiet. And you go to the next verse, and it says, So much the more there went a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear Jesus and to be healed of their infirmities. Boy, if you can go to Jesus and he can touch you and you can be healed immediately, you can imagine the crowds that came. He was swamped. There's no way in the world he could even see the people that would want to come to him because there were so many sick people then just as there is now. Now, real quickly, are there some practical lessons we can learn here? Yes, there is. And And I'll just give you a couple of them. Number one. The lesson I learned here, first of all, is that nobody is too bad to be saved. Nobody is too bad ever to be saved. George Whitfield was the great English evangelist and came to America and preached up and down our coast here. And 
he used to have a line that he used in his sermons. He'd say it almost in every sermon because he had a great heart for people, a great compassion, great, great evangelist. And George Whitfield would tell his audience this. He would say, Jesus will even take the devil's castaways. <laughs> Jesus will even take the devil's castaways. Boy, I like that. That means that there's nobody beyond the grace of God. Who do you know? And you haven't even bothered to witness to them, maybe because you say, oh, they're just, uh, uh, they're too hard. They're too evil. They're too uninterested. They're too unconcerned. There's no use me trying with them. And we've just made a, a judgment. We just write somebody off. I want to say it again. Nobody is in too bad a shape that the Lord Jesus Christ can't save them. Do I hear a good amen on that? Do we believe that tonight, church? Nobody is too bad for the Lord Jesus Christ to save. Man, we've had examples of it right here in our own fellowship. Don't ever give up on anybody. Don't ever say anybody is beyond the reach of God's grace. And there's somebody might even be here tonight. You think that you're too bad and that there's no hope for you and you can never be saved. And I think we're probably going to televise this program. And very well, it's very well possible that somebody is watching this television program. And you're sitting somewhere here in the Carolinas or maybe beyond that. And uh, you have absolutely dissipated your life. You've ruined it. You've destroyed it. Sin has eaten up everything good about your existence. And you think you can't be saved. I want to tell you, right now, there is no one, no one who is too bad to be saved. We want you to come to Christ. That's why we televise these services. That's why our church is here. That's why we have a lighthouse over here to my left. And the light is always on when we're having services because we want this to be a lighthouse. We have a statue on the front yard of a sower because this is the place we want to sow the gospel of Jesus Christ. We never want anybody in this region of the world to think they're beyond the grace of God. The second thing I see here is the need of the church for compassion. Our Lord had compassion. He told a story called the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan story is about a man who fell into the company of thieves, and they robbed him, and they beat him, and they nearly killed him. They left him for dead on the side of a, of a, a, a desolate highway out on the mountains between Jericho and Jerusalem. They thought the man was dead, and they didn't care. And his body's laying there in the road. And a priest came by, a priest, a religious man, a preacher, a man of the cloth, a rev. And he looks at that man in his terrible condition. What does the priest do? He goes over to the other side of the road because he's too busy or he's too uninterested to care about that man. And then the Lord said, a Levite came by. Who's the Levite? He's another religious person. He's a religious worker. He helped keep up the temple, part of the support staff. And he saw the man, and he went by on the other side of the road. And the good Samaritan was a man of another race. 
who stopped, paid the bill out of his own pocket for days, and rescued and saved the man's life, the good Samaritan. This man had compassion. The religious people didn't have any compassion. God forbid that ever would be said about the Florence Baptist Temple. Man, we have got to ask the Lord to just break our hearts, help us to suffer with the people who suffer. There's so much suffering in the world. You know what? I think if we had the right heart of compassion here, we wouldn't be able to get people in the door. They'd be standing in the parking lot a mile away wanting to get in here. Jesus was full, full of compassion, full of compassion for the people that nobody else even wanted to be around. And he would put forth his hand and touch them. He cared for them. And that also teaches me this, that if I want to win people to Christ, it's not just giving the gospel. I'm teaching that on Sunday night. But if you give the gospel and you don't have the heart for it, don't expect a response to it. The gospel, the greatest way to reach people for the Lord is to minister to them first and show them the love of Christ and show them compassion. And after we've ministered to them, their hearts are open and tender to us. And then we give the gospel. And they can identify with us. They know we care. Boy, some wonderful lessons here. Nobody is too bad to be saved. The greatest need of the church is compassion. And ministry to hurting people opens the doors to sharing the gospel in an effective way. Bow your head with me.